have uh, watched Bear Grylls at all? Anybody? Any Bear Grylls fan? Anybody like the food that he serves up in the wilderness? No? Dead pigeons and snakes and all kinds of stuff. But Bear Grylls teaches people survival skills. So he takes these celebrities. If you've not watched it, he's an outdoor guy. He takes these celebrities and he gives them a series of challenges that they have to complete. Um, and he is with them through that period of time. <coughs> and one of the things that I've seen him do a number of times is he teaches people how to navigate. And so if, there's a, if you've got to get from A to B, he says, find an object in the distance that's large, make sure you know where it is, and that's where you've got to keep heading. And no matter what you're doing here, you've got to keep looking at that goal, at that item, can you pass me my water, please, though? You've got to be looking at that direction so that you can find out exactly where you need to go. And the idea is that if you keep that distant view in focus, then the shorter journeys and the shorter challenges are all going to head you in the right direction. If you don't keep your eyes fixed on that, then the thing is, no matter what you do, is fairly pointless because you're not going to reach your destination. Now, only a long-term view will help you deal with the short-term challenges. Anybody got any challenges in their life? I know I have. few of us. Wow, the rest of you are really blessed. That's amazing. But only a long-term view will help you deal with short-term challenges. And that's really the theme of what we're looking at today. It comes out of Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to uh, launch straight in with the Beatitudes. But I want to stop for a moment and say that Jesus is talking to two groups of people here. He's talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to the crowd. So it's not something that was, was just for one or two people. He spoke to the whole crowd as much as he was talking to his disciples. Uh, and if we look at Matthew 5, it says this. We're just going to read the first 12 verses. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So you get the idea. The crowds are there. The disciples are there. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are nine conditions in these Beatitudes. 
and they come with nine rewards. Some of the conditions are extremely challenging. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst, those who are persecuted, and those who are mocked. Not nice things or not easy things. And then we have uh, another set. So five of them are really challenging, but the last four are not easy either. Those who are humble, those who are merciful, those whose hearts are pure, and those who work for peace. All of these nine Beatitudes are a bit of a challenge. But here's the thing. Jesus prefixes all of them with the word blessed. Hey man, you're blessed if you do these things. You're blessed if you do these things. And, and I want you to see today that these are long-term things that will help us deal with the short-term challenges that we face in our life. We become blessed when we meet these conditions. God will bless us every single time we fulfill one of these conditions. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? You know, you, you see, don't you, we bless children, etc., but we don't perceive any kind of real difference or change, but the blessed is inherent within these beatitudes. So here's the blessing. The blessing is that you'll receive the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for a minute. The kingdom of heaven, that's yours. You will be comforted. Good news for Anita and good news for, you know, all of our folks who've lost people this year. Good news, we will be comforted. We will inherit the whole earth. Oh, wow. We will be satisfied. You know, it's really amazing that when you go, especially at this time of the year, you find people aren't satisfied because all the adverts are saying, this is what you need to buy, Christmas is coming. It says that you will be shown mercy. You will see God. Who wants to see God? I do. It says that they will be called children of God. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then right at the end, he says, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. So we've got these challenges, these conditions about what we need to do. But we've got these amazing rewards that it brings. But there is a question in my preparation that I asked and I thought, are these blessings for here and now or are they for another time? I mean, it's good to ask, isn't it? Have you ever, have you ever had one of these things and it says you can get something free, but then you've got to wait like six months before you can kind of do that and by that time everybody's forgotten? And so... What's, you know, we understand the condition, we understand the blessing, and we could argue that comfort, mercy, and being called children of God are in some way outworked on our lives, but actually most of these are future. Think about it for a moment, the kingdom of heaven. It's a future event. I know we see some of that outbreak here, inheriting the, uh, the whole earth. Well, in Revelation, that kind of happens when Jesus comes back and he gives his believers the authority over the earth. Seeing God, 
Yeah, when Jesus comes back, that's again towards the end. And then this last statement really shows it's a future reward because Jesus says, for great is your reward that awaits you in heaven. So the focus then of the Beatitudes is that there is not necessarily an immediate reward that we see for what we're doing. And that's really important to know. It's like going to the gym. You know, you go to the gym and you work out for an hour and you think, well, that's it, I'm done now. I'm fit. Woohoo! Doesn't work like that, does it? You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep doing. You've got to keep doing. And then, over a period of time, you find that you receive what you have worked for. The difficulty in our British culture is that nobody wants to wait. I was talking to my sister yesterday. Uh, she lives in Germany. She's getting on a bit. If you're listening to this, sis, I didn't tell them how old you were, so you're okay. And she was just talking about how life has changed. She says, you know, she said to me, when I got married, me and my husband, we had a mattress for a sofa you know, it was bare boards and, and everything, she says. And we had that for a number of years until we had saved up to buy. She says, we saved up for two years to buy a sofa. She says, now when they get married, they want a fully furnished house with all the mod cons and everything. And that's how it's got to be. Well, you know what? That's like the quick fix life. And here Jesus is saying, guys, you've got to wait. You've got to have your focus on the future. He's saying, guys, only a long-term view will help you deal with short-term challenges. It's having a long-term view that helps us to deal with the difficulties that we have here and now. And, and we see that in other areas. <coughs> you know, people are willing to go through challenges if they see there's a reward at the end. I would say, well, this is leading me to something. I mean, for, for our young people here, they understand that school is not forever. It's a shame, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to be at school forever? No. Their faces, those of you listening, their faces say, no. But they understand that they have to go through these challenges. They have to get through because there are exams coming. And they need to pass those exams because that will determine where they can then go and what they can do in terms of a working life. Now, all of these things relate to what we said last week, that Jesus is beginning to talk about a counterculture. He hits home with the Beatitudes and Jesus says the reward here is not some short-term thing, but it comes with long-term persistence. It's not a quick fix, it's a long-term persistence. When these tough conditions are met, then when we live them out, when Christ returns, then the reward will be ours. It's a long-term view. It's a long-term view. And I like that because so often I've seen in Christianity that people are not told they have to keep a long-term view. And what ends up is that when something goes wrong in the short term, they walk away from Jesus. They kind of say, well, 
I thought it was all about blessing, and this doesn't seem a blessing. I say, no, but you have to persist because the blessing is coming. It's coming. It's coming when Jesus returns. And let me tell you, we are closer to that day than we have ever been in the history of humanity. And so Jesus is talking about counterculture and these beatitudes. People have said they are attitudes that we need to be. These attitudes are lifestyle choices. We have to make the choice about how we're going to live on this earth, keeping in view that actually there is a coming Christ coming back. There is a long-term view that we fix our eyes upon. So let's go through these Beatitudes and talk about what they're really telling us to do. The first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. This one is setting the scene. This first beatitude is really saying that unless you recognize that a life without God is pointless, you will get nowhere. We've got to start from this ground that Jesus is the one that we need to follow. If you go to the beginning of Genesis, it doesn't tell you anything except in the beginning God. It's coming from an assumption that we understand that God is the rock and the root and the foundation of everything. And this first beatitude says, those who understand that, they are poor in spirit because they know they are relying on Jesus. I mean, we get up, don't we? We get up in the morning, we look at the work we've got to do, we look at the things we've got to face, and we say, Lord, help me. That's the poor in spirit. Lord, help me. And what does the Lord do? Yeah, I'm going to help you. Woo. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He gives us what we need to get through the day. But it's a choice we have because the thing is, the world doesn't think it needs God. The world thinks we can do this. I mean, it amazes me. It absolutely amazes me that our world gets more broken every year and yet our leaders are constantly saying, we can make it better. I mean, it's a laugh, isn't it? You go back 10 years and we were so many billion in debt and now we're a trillion in debt. But hey, it's getting better, people. I love that joke where the son says to the father, you know, your generation doesn't trust us. And the father says, ah, oh, that's rubbish, son. We're trusting you to pay back all of the debt we've created. We live in this nuts world that doesn't recognize that being poor in spirit is the way that we will get through. In saying, I don't have it, but God has it, and I recognize God has it, and as I trust in him, then he will empower me to get through. <coughs> Second one, blessed are those who mourn. You know, mourning is part of life. We lose things. This includes material things. Sometimes people lose their homes and possessions. I remember when I came back to the UK, we just had a recession, and I was seeing on the news stories of people who had paid into a pension for 45 years, and they lost the whole lot. We lose things, and these things cause us to mourn. We also lose very much more important things, like the loved ones that we are connected with. 
We live, we need to care for our body, we have relationships with people, but over time, we lose things. And we enter into a time of mourning. I was told, hey, Simon, when you turn 40, buy yourself a black tie. I said, why? He says, because you start to lose things. And we've experienced that. I mean, we know it more than uh, any other church in the last year. We have lost a lot of good people. And we feel that. We feel the loss. And yet Jesus says, I'm here to comfort you. I love that, that scripture where it says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope. That even though we've lost loved ones, we categorically know we're going to see them again. It is not a loss for all time. It is a painful loss. It's a painful separation. But we will see them again. And that brings true comfort. And let me tell you, those in the world who don't have that hope, who lose, they get drowned in grief. You see people walking around as shadows and ghosts because they've lost loved ones and they don't have that comfort that Jesus brings. Number three, blessed are the meek. You know, meek is not a word you hear very often. The Bible sense lexicon says that meek means a person characterized by being humble, gentle, and mild. I wonder how many politicians would fit that description. I wonder how many of us would fit that description. How many leaders of business, how many leaders of charities, how many leaders in the community, how many would be characterized by being humble, gentle, and mild? It is a rare character quality. Our society, it's more known for being aggressive, for confronting people, violence, on the increase. And yet our society would say meekness is weakness. But let me tell you, Jesus was meek, but he wasn't weak. So what are we saying that meekness is? Meekness does not give in to evil and all the stuff that's around. Meekness simply says, I disagree with you, but it does it in a humble and gentle and mild manner. I've watched people who do that, and actually it's quite amazing. There is a strength to people who stand up and say, well, I disagree with you, but I'm not going to shout at you. I'm not going to hate you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to say, yes, yeah, there anything I can do for you? But I'm sorry, I can't endorse what you're doing. Jesus walked around when he was accused. Quite often he said nothing, just stood there. Must have been so frustrating for these guys. They were waiting for Jesus to speak back and to slander back and to say, you see it in our news when, well, when one um, superstar says something against another one and then you begin to see the vitriol back and forth on Twitter or it's called X now or whatever. You know, on social media, people are having a go at one another. You see it. I bet you see it at school as well. Somebody says something, well, the meek person says, ah, it's not important. I'm not going to stand there and pour out vitriol. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to make sure that I'm gentle and mild in my dealings with other people. Why can the meek person do that? Because the meek person understands one simple truth, that in the end, God will judge all people. I don't need to judge anyone. 
If somebody dents your car and drives off without telling you and you don't know who it was and you get quite angry about it and say, you know what, I don't need to worry about this. God will judge all people. Somebody cheats you at work or somebody does something bad. It's not that we agree with it, but we're entrusting that God will see justice being done and that's why the meek will inherit the earth because they have the character quality of what we need. Wouldn't it be great if all of our leaders were meek? Number four. <coughs> so, sorry. Number four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is hard to hunger for righteousness in a world of sin. It is hard to hunger for righteousness in a world of sin. Peter the Apostle wrote this about Lot. You remember Lot? Lot was the guy who lived in Sodom and God destroyed Sodom. But this is what Peter says about Lot. He says, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. And so too, as believers, I don't know about you, one of the reasons I don't like watching the news is it makes me angry. I watch what's going on and think, I'm getting angry here. I don't want to be angry. It torments our soul when we see injustice, unrighteousness and evil prevail. And it's a torment and it's a constant torment that we face as believers. The world might just brush it off and say, yeah, that's okay. But when we see it, because we have got Christ in us, something in us rises up and it's not happy. When my son went to the school at the end of the road, I was angry nearly every day. Because the parents would block the pavements with their silly parking. And they would force mums and children to walk in the middle of the road with two or three children. They couldn't hold all their hands, all in danger, because they decided we want to park as close to the school as possible. We can't be bothered to get there on time. We can't be bothered to find a good place to park. And so we will disadvantage everybody else. And I got angry. We need to hunger and thirst for righteousness in a world that is wicked. It's not an easy thing to do. But we know in the end that when Christ returns, he will remove all the wicked from the earth. He will deal with every single wicked person and he will remove that. Number five, blessed are the merciful. Another quality we don't see very often. Merciful people... Uh, the, the Bible sense lexicon says, a person who shows leniency, compassion, or forgiveness, especially towards someone who has offended them. You know, mercy, well, I mean, I might, I might try and do this because it affects me. I might get a bumper sticker for my car that says, I am merciful. And then every time I see that, I think, okay. When I drive my car, I need to be merciful. Let the person out. If they cut you up, God bless you. It's not easy, is it? But actually, we need to be merciful because if we are merciful, we will receive mercy. 
And let's be honest, we've, I mean, anybody here, it's probably nobody, I'll, I'll put my hand up because of me, has anybody here ever driven badly? Yeah. And isn't it nice when people say, don't worry about it, it's okay. Yeah. You don't want somebody whacking on their horn and doing whatever else, shouting through the window. <coughs> and so God wants us to be merciful people. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, pure in heart here, the sense is a person who is free of guilt and sin. So blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who are free of guilt and sin. Now, that only comes through Jesus. The bottom line is if you want your sin and guilt removed, you need to bow your knee to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've sinned. I believe that you died for my sin and I ask you to forgive me. And then you can begin to live a life that is free of guilt and sin. Without the cross, without repentance, without obedience, this is simply not possible. But here's the thing. Those that do that will see God. Each one of us who's repented of our sin and walks in the righteousness of Jesus, one day we are going to see God if we keep the long view in. If we keep that long view in. I tell you, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm a bit nervous as well because Jesus is quite a scary dude. Number seven. Blessed are the peacemakers. And we could add there because we don't have any. We've got war upon war. Where are the peacemakers? You know, God is a peacemaker. God saw that the activity of humanity from Adam and Eve onwards created a barrier between him and them, and so he made peace by sending Jesus. And if we become peacemakers, then we will be called children of God because we'll be like Jesus. Jesus was a peacemaker. Jesus brought all of the Jews and Gentiles together and brought salvation for all of them. And so we're called to be peacemakers. Now the thing is, being a peacemaker is costly. It cost Jesus his life. But isn't it an amazing opportunity we have in our office, in our neighborhood or wherever to be a peacemaker? To be able to sit down and say, hey folks, can we just sit down and talk about this? Can we find a way through? Jesus wants us to be peacemakers. Number seven. Blessed, oh no, I've just done that one, sorry. Number eight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And I'm going to add the next one on. Blessed are you when others revile you. Or revile means to mock. Persecution Mocking, being falsely accused, are all part and parcel of living a righteous life. Notice that Jesus said, it's persecution for my sake, not for any other sake, for my sake. People get persecuted for a lot of stuff, but this is persecution for his sake. I've often wondered why living a righteous life makes you open to persecution. And the simple conclusion is this. If everybody else is stealing, but you're not stealing, and they see that you're not stealing, it makes them feel guilty. Because it does. That's how it works. You know, it's like when you're in the traffic. Sorry, I'm talking about cars. I'm probably just preaching to myself this morning. 
it, it, it's like you're in this queue of traffic, there's a long line, traffic lights ahead, and there's another road to the side with a shed load of cars that want to come in, um, and you know, you're hedging up, you think, I'm going to let as few cars in as possible because I want to get home, and then you don't let a car in, but the car behind lets them in, and you feel bad then. Because you think, well, he was kind, he let him in. I, I really should have done that. If he hadn't let him in, then I'd feel okay. But because he let him in, now I'm thinking, I should have let him in. And he's thinking, what a nasty guy that guy is. And so it kind of works that when we live a righteous life, it highlights in other people's lives that they're not righteous. I mean, it's okay for two thieves to excuse their thievery, but when they're talking to somebody who says, no, I don't do that, that's not right, they'll think, well, we don't, wanna, we don't want him around. The reason they killed Jesus is because Jesus was highlighting just how evil they were. And throughout history, Christians are persecuted and killed because their lifestyle makes other people feel guilty. And if they can't get you to join them, they want to rid the earth of you. It's a tough life. But Jesus says, listen, I want you to live a righteous life. And you know what? If we never ever give a verbal testimony to people our lives being righteous is testimony enough to be a challenge to all those around us. I remember reading years and years ago that uh, Mother Teresa went to the UN Council and she was allowed to speak and she told them all off. I mean, she brought a hard word of rebuke and everybody stayed silent. Why? Because they could not argue with the testimony of her life. She was living it. She was doing what she said they should be doing. They could not argue. And sometimes when people attack you and people mock you, it will be because you're living a righteous life and you are making their conscience say what they're doing is wrong and they don't like it. See that in all kinds of things that are accepted now where you talk about it and people want you to agree with it and when you don't, they become very angry with you because now they feel that they're doing something wrong. The Beatitudes are a truly counter-culture life. If we live like this, we'll be living different from the world I mean, hey, we just went through these uh, nine conditions. If we live like that, the world would be blown away. I think, what on earth is this? One of the things I like, there's a guy called um, Andy Stanley. He's a, he's a preacher. And he always, at the end of his messages, he kind of says, what would the world look like if everybody did what Jesus told us to do? And you look at the Beatitudes, what would the world look like if we just took one, let's say the, the merciful one, what would it look like if in our community everybody was merciful? Can you imagine driving the car and going along? No, you go out, no problem. Drive along, yeah, you go out. Everybody did that. Can you imagine people would arrive at the workplace feeling pretty cheery? Well, that guy let me out and this lady let me out and it, and it wasn't a burden. Nobody honked their horn. Somebody didn't drive in and try to edge in. Uh, it was quite nice. But in the way we live now, people already get to work and they're kind of stressed like this. 
all they've done is been 40 minutes in a car. And because there's no mercy on the road, they come in kind of feeling like they've been through the mill. So just imagine taking one of these beatitudes and saying, you know what, I'm going to live this until it becomes a habit. I'm going to stick a thing on my steering wheel, that's probably dangerous, stick it on my dashboard to say, be merciful so that you'll receive mercy. It's an amazing thing of what Jesus is calling us to do. And it heads me back to kind of the the phrase I want you to remember this morning. Only a long-term view will help you deal with short-term challenges. Only a long-term view will help you deal with short-term challenges. And you know, Jesus encourages us by saying we're not alone. Jesus said this at the end, Rejoice and be glad, (coughs) for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's Jesus saying? Have a long-term view. Yeah, you've got short-term challenges, but have a long-term view because the prophets got through by having a long-term view. Our forefathers, they got through by having a long-term view. Jesus is coming back. And all of these rewards he will bring with him if we keep that long-term view and say we will get through these challenges. And the amazing thing is that Jesus knows we face challenges. And what has he done? He's placed us in a family called the church. And we can encourage one another. We can bless one another. We can support one another. I've been encouraged this year with so much loss how people have been encouraging and standing with folks who've lost a loved one. Keep doing it. Keep phoning up people. Keep sending them a text. You know, I was praying this morning and you came into my mind and I was praying for you and this is a scripture that came to my mind and I want to bless you with it. Have a blessed day. Here's what Jesus wants you to hear today. You know how that lifts people up. And so I want to encourage you. Be the attitudes that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you give us rules for living. And sometimes they seem quite difficult, but we know that they will lead us to an amazing reward. And Father, I pray that we would be those who live those Beatitudes, because in doing that, we will be like Jesus. And so, Lord, help us today. Help us to have the attitudes of Jesus. Help us to live them and do them. Give us the strength day by day by day. And, Lord, we we keep our eyes fixed on the future when Christ returns and he will then sort all things out. And so, Lord, we bless you today. I pray a blessing upon your people. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God make his face shine upon you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.